You're listening to the Really Useful Podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeusoft.com. This week we've got all the latest tech news that matters, tips and tricks to help you make better use of your tech, and even some recommendations from myself, Christian Corley, and my co-host, Ben Stegner. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing fantastic, Christian. I'm uh, back from a trip last week, so getting back into the swing of things and uh, happy to be chatting with you. That sounds great. And uh, we are here recording this. Uh, <laughs> we had a few problems, uh, teething problems, to get this one uh, started. So I'm delighted to say that we are on the way with this podcast. I feel excited about it. And I'm excited about this. Microsoft, I don't know why I'm excited about it. Maybe it's because the impression Microsoft is finally seeing the light. Microsoft really, really wants you to leave Windows 8.1 already. Um, Starting from July 2022, the software giant will begin prodding 8.1 users to upgrade before the operating system's end of support date. I'm amazed that people are still using Windows 8.1 8.1 so to be honest with you in a world where windows 10 exists and windows 10 seems to do pretty much what anyone needs an operating system to do yeah i totally agree um i remember when windows 10 was newer and people were kind of scared about leaving windows 7 to go to it because they love 7 so i get that but i don't know why you would want to stay on 8.1 because it's just objectively worse than windows 7 was for sure so i imagine there won't be too many holdouts for that because i think they would look be looking for any excuse to jump ship absolutely it's due to enter its uh end in january 2023 that's when it loses support from microsoft so you'll still be able to use it but there'll be no more official patches which means it then becomes a bit of a security risk to be using its um stability risk as well then again, I mean, even up to five or six years ago, games, I mean, even now, in fact, there are games that are released that will run on Windows XP. So it's not to say that you have to stop using Windows 8.1. It's just that it's not a great idea to keep using Windows 8.1. For several reasons, is that it's just kind of annoying. It's an, it's an annoying OS to use, and you'll be much happier with something modern. Just for fun, I looked up the market share of Windows oh, versions. So Windows 8.1, as of May 2022, has about a 3% market share. Okay. And then above that, Windows 11 has about 10%. 7 has about 13%. And then <laughs> Windows 10 is by far in the majority of about 72%. So yeah, Windows 8.1 is... <laughs> Windows XP had at least 10 times as many people using it when it was gone. Than Windows 8 does now, and it's Just still. Uh, read the Windows yeah. 7 one again, will you? Windows 7 is 13%. 13%. And <laughs> Windows 11? Windows 11 is at 10%. So. 10%? Oh. It's, yeah, I mean, a year after release, that's, that's, that's pretty bad. Terrible. That is absolutely terrible. That is embarrassing. Good lord. And they want everyone off Windows 8.1, so they'll go up to Windows 11, obviously. I would be very curious. I don't know if, this, if they'll keep track of this. How many people leave 8.1 for 10 and how many people leave 8.1 for Windows 11? Well, I think the upgrade path to Windows 10 is a lot easier on the hardware, isn't it, for Windows 8.1 to Windows 10? Oh, actually, you're right. Yeah, people on 8.1 probably aren't going to be able to get to 11 because yeah. of the, the the TPM requirement for the CPU. 
Yeah, you're right. So I guess it'll be Windows 10. And then we'll have the whole, the, the, the fun of Windows all over again, right? In a couple of years, they're going to you're gonna have to jump ship from Windows 10 and then the fun begins all over again. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have figures like that Windows 7 one in six or seven years time. Yep. And people won't want to leave <laughs> Windows 10 and then <laughs> Windows 13 will be out by that time. Oh, man, this is exhausting. They're never going to release a Windows 13. <laughs> that's, that's just asking for trouble, isn't it? Windows 12? Yeah, they can go for Windows 12, but they can't call one after that Windows 13. Like, you know, I guess that's true. There was iOS 13, though. <laughs> yeah, that, that did okay. But then again, Apple doesn't have that problem of uh, dodgy operating system releases. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll move on. The Nothing Phone. Now, this is a, um, a cleverly named phone. The Nothing Phone bracket one bracket, or one in parentheses. Uh, it's not due to be released in the US. You know, it looks, uh, on first glance, it looks just like it's just another slick looking android phone and i had a look at it and i was a bit dubious until i got into the videos and there is it's actually very cool what the nothing phone does because it has uh leds embedded in the rear and they're in strange sort of shapes and these leds can be used to um uh to, to provide various types of notifications and they draw programmable notifications uh have you ever had that when you look at a phone and think, oh, it's just another phone, and then you find it does something absolutely mind-blowingly different? I can't think of any phones in particular. I'm trying to think. I mean, my first smartphone that I've talked about before on the show was the Evo 3D. It had the 3D camera, which was more of a gimmick of the time than something yeah. really that different. But I do agree with you that it's, it is really cool to see a phone that does something different just because it feels like smartphones have become so standardized that like you see one phone you've kind of get the idea of all of them but yeah. it's cool just to say oh i've never seen that before i'm the same way with video games when i hear about an idea it's like oh i've never heard about that before it kind of piques your interest just because it's fresh in a sea of the same things i like led notifications though that that was a thing on older android phones do you remember yeah, they, yeah. they had like lights that would like pulse it would be like green for a text or blue for an email or whatever that was yeah. pretty common and it just kind of faded away oh no but uh, i like i like the approach that the uh, nothing people have uh are giving the nothing phone uh with uh which has a stock-like version of android branding as nothing os uh, sounds very uh nihilistic it does nihilistic. doesn't it yeah um just i mean on the matter of uh unique phones um, i've just uh, finished a review for make use of a couple of days ago and i know that it is edited uh but it hasn't been released yet i don't think i've uh, reviewed a phone called the blackview bl8800 pro which is a rugged phone and that tends to be the, the most interesting things about Android phones at the moment is kind of ruggedization, or it has been ruggedization. Well, certainly for me, it's, it's a choice between ruggedization or whether this phone has got a secret physical keyboard. Um, beyond that, it's uh, phones all seem to be pretty much a muchness. I mean, I've, I've uh, the, the, the BL8800 Pro, there's the funny um, TikTok one with the watch face embedded in the back of the phone. There's a Doogee S95 Pro, which is has like modular attachments. And then the Nokia XR20, which I'm using as my daily driver at the moment. They're all kind of rugged phones. And they're really, um, the, the Nokia being a bit slimline and not as rugged as the others. Aside, they all tend to do pretty much the same thing. So it is really refreshing to see something like the Nothing phone. And I hope they do really well with it because uh, I think we need something a bit different in the mobile phone space, don't we? I would agree. I'm trying to think of the last time I saw a phone that did something really fresh. And I guess it would be, I remember like 
four or five phones ago when I was looking at upgrading. I think it was one of the OnePlus phones had this had the fingerprint sensor in the screen, and that was right. a new thing at the time. I think that's that's more widespread now. But that, I feel like that was the last time I I saw something and thought that that was pretty like a fresh idea. Which of course at first it's kind of janky, like it sounds really cool, but it's not that great in practice. And they kind of they figure it out later on. But yeah, I can't think of any ones that really caught my eye other than like those minimalist phones that are designed to like keep you from looking at the screen all day yeah, yeah. that's that's a separate category totally totally um so uh, yeah so that's coming along but it isn't going to be released in the u.s certainly not at first it's um the, the launch of the nothing phone one will focus on the united kingdom and europe spacex's starlink satellites are negatively impacting astronomers um now if you think about it makes perfect sense that this would happen because Starlink is launching satellites in kind of constellationary arrangements in order to enable internet access uh, in remote areas. So it makes sense that their orbit is going to get in the way of the, um, not just the interest, the study of astronomy. Um, at the point of uh, our article going live on Make Use Of earlier this month, there are 2,000 satellites in low Earth orbit. SpaceX has approval from the U.S. Federal Communications Commission for a total of 40,000 satellites. You've, you've all seen space photos. They require a uh, slightly slower shutter speed, uh, amongst other settings, and motion in space creates uh, streaks. And uh, so not only do the, the uh, photographers have to contest with uh, light pollution and the weather, they now have uh, extra bodies in low Earth orbit to tackle that 40,000 number. Though. That's insane, isn't it? That's a lot of satellites. I guess when you need internet for as many people and as much of the Earth as they want. I mean, I live in a part of the world where it's very difficult to see the heavens. Uh, I live in a place that was very big on industry up until about 30 years ago. There's still a lot of industry here, but not as much as there was, and they're building towards more industry. Um, and we have to drive sort of 20 miles into the North Yorkshire Moors to a nice place called Danby in order to get anything close to a uh, sort of a, a, a light pollution-free sky. The sky, the night sky view from there is absolutely stunning. I th I'm pretty sure there's an area next, not next to me, fairly close to me in the state. Um, I think my one of my cousins has an interest in astronomy and bought a telescope or something. Um, and they went to that area and it was, it, they said it was beautiful. Like it's not super, super far. It's in a more rural area, obviously. But um, where my parents live is more out kind of in a rural area. So you can see the stars decently well there. I mean, not as well as you would in the middle of nowhere, but... It's nice to have an area to do that where you yeah, don't feel like definitely. you're going to get jumped, jumped by a tiger or something. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so uh, there's more details about this on MakeYourself.com along with everything else that you'll hear us discuss in this show, in our show notes. Um, but basically, uh, there are tools that you can use to help you track Starlink satellites and then make your decision on when you're going to photograph the night sky and when the best time it's going to be when the worst time is going to be but of course the thing is that the presence of extra satellites means it's an extra element of things to consider when planning nighttime photography on top of the weather and the light and any other bodies that might be in the way now you've got these extra satellites that are coming along starlink has done uh 
phenomenal work in helping uh, people in Ukraine stay online throughout the uh, invasion by Russia. But it's, um, you know, it does come with a cost, the uh, march of technology. And when it kind of impedes on the natural world, which, you know, the night sky is the natural world. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit disappointing, really. Yeah, I kind of I kind of go back and forth on it. Like on one hand, it's I, I, I'm it's nice to have people be able to get online that wouldn't be able to otherwise, and that, that, that's a great thing. But on the other hand, adding pollution. I mean, I think people being online, if you look at it objectively, is probably more important than taking pictures of the night sky. But also, there's there's beauty to that, and it 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 shouldn't ruin that for people, and it, it adds that hassle. So it's one of those things where there's every good thing has some some bad drawbacks too. So it's a, it's a tough one. Absolutely. Okay, we have some tips and tricks to help you make better use of the devices in front of you at the moment. And we're going to kick off with something that we I suppose criminally don't talk about an awful lot. She's Mac OS. And we've got this great list of the best macOS features everyone should use. I, it's really weird that we don't do macOS very often because you use macOS, don't you? Um, sometimes, yeah. So I used to be the Mac deputy editor at the site. I have a MacBook Air that I use when I'm on the road um, or if I'm doing a Mac article, which isn't super, super often. So I'm not, I wouldn't call myself primary Mac user by any means, but I have access to it and know the basics. So I use it sometimes and I sometimes write about it. So maybe I should be the one to add some more Mac into the mix here. Yeah, well, maybe you should. Um, so the nine best Mac OS features everyone should use is a nice um, guy that's been uh, compiled by Hashir Ibrahim from makeusoft.com. There are nine items in this list, Ben. What do you think of them? Well, I think they are all like really little handy things that I like. Um, it's the I, I, I love Windows because I'm so used to it. Um, and it's just like I know just the muscle memory and keyboard shortcuts and stuff, but it is little things like this where when you use them and, and then you lose them on another OS that you get used to. Um, one of my favorites in the list is Quick Look, which I actually, I like Quick Look so much on Mac that I found an app that replicates that on Windows. Um, so that's on Mac when you're in your file explorer called Finder. If you hit the space bar, it'll pull up a preview of your, the file that you're looking at. So an image or a PDF or whatever. And it's so nice that I installed uh, a Windows little app called, what's it called here? Oh, it's just called Quick Look. Um, that does the same thing. It's just super nice when you want to check on a picture real quick and not have to worry about opening it and then closing the, uh, the your file, uh, your image preview app rather. Um, otherwise, yeah, these are all some really useful uh, tools. I mean, Spotlight Search is super handy, um, more or less about as good as Search in Windows 10 and 11 is now. Um, Command and Space pulls up your search bar, and then you can just look for anything on your computer, whether it's an app or uh, a file or even just do, like, basic calculations, check a stock price, things like that. Um, it's also on iPhone, too. Spotlight Search is similar where it's just a very, very fast search where you're not waiting for stuff. Um, hot corners are nice too. If you haven't used those, that lets you move your mouse to the corner of one of your, uh, one of the four corners on your Mac, and then you can assign uh, a control to it. So you could maybe show your desktop when you go to the top left corner or show uh, mission control for some shortcuts when you go to, to an, a different corner. Um, so if you tend to use your mouse a lot and maybe don't want to use the keys, uh, for those, those are pretty nice too. 
And of course, there's a lot of great features between Mac and iPhone. So handoff is one of those. Um, it lets you copy on one device and paste on another or start an email on your phone and finish it on your Mac, uh, things like that that make it really nice when you're all in on the Apple ecosystem. Of the um, items in the list, uh, which, as mentioned, you'll find in the show notes, which is your favorite, do you think? Or do you have a different favorite? I'm trying to think. I, I like Lookup, um, but I like it on my phone. So I use an iPhone, as I've talked about before. So Lookup is nice because you can just press on a word and see what it means. Um, but I also, I'm slowly and casually in the process of trying to learn some Spanish. Um, so it's really nice to be able to translate words on your phone by doing that. I think you can do the same on Mac OS too, um, where if you have a different language installed on your phone, you can press on it and then it'll translate or define it uh, in either language. So it's nice to like read the definition in Spanish and try to learn some new words that way. Um, I, I do think Quick Look is probably my favorite just because it's so simple yet convenient. Um, Another one is the is the focus modes. Um, we might have talked about that before for iPhone. So that expands the do not disturb feature. So instead of just one do not disturb option, now there's a bunch of them and you can set up who's allowed to contact you and what apps are allowed to contact you in, in them. So you can set up one do not disturb that's just nothing gets through. And then you can maybe set one up that's like work focus where like Slack and email notifications get through, but like game notifications don't. So that's really handy too. Because um, I do think... Like notifications, I think, are one of the biggest features that people need to take more control of because they're designed to take, grab your attention. And when your attention is constantly being grabbed, it's how you waste time on your phone or computer. So I think features like this are really useful and more people should take full advantage of them. We're going to move on to Easter eggs in video games. What are they? How long have they been there? And what form do they take? Ben, you've um, taken another look at the topic of Easter eggs in video games, haven't you? I have, yes. I do enjoy games as a whole, obviously, and uh, Easter eggs are always fun little extras that they didn't have to put there, but they did. Um, so Easter eggs in general, if you're not familiar, kind of their name kind of comes from the, the tradition of finding eggs on Easter. Um, they're little bits of secret media that developers hide inside video games. They can also be in software and things like that. Even Google has some Easter eggs in Google search, but um, in this context, they're about games. So it's any sort of text, image, a little cutscene, a nod to another game or a different piece of media, anything like that can be an Easter egg. Um, they're optional. They're hidden. You find them just for fun. They're not like a cheat or a bonus in the game they're just like a little fun nod that doesn't really do anything other than make you smile for the most part so easter eggs started in the atari 2600 game adventure which obviously being on the atari system was very primitive um it was one of the first action adventure games so think a very very basic like zelda type of uh, find the key and open the door type of game. Um, the developer's name was Warren Robinette. Uh, at the time, Atari had a policy of not giving credit to its programmers because they didn't want other people to, or other companies to know who had worked on the game and then try to poach them for themselves. So through an obscure method that you would have to read a guide to know how to do, he embedded the text created by Warren Robinette into the game. So that was kind of the first generally accepted Easter egg in a game. Um, so the article that you can read in the notes, as we referenced, uh, includes a lot of little things. Uh, so like as a reference to another game, for an example, in Uncharted 3, uh, there's, a, there's a scene at the beginning of the game that takes place in a bar, uh, and there's a newspaper on the bar that says scientists are still struggling to understand deadly fungus, and that's a reference to The Last of Us, which was the upcoming game at the time by Naughty Dog, who also made Uncharted. Um, but the funny thing was that The Last of Us hadn't been announced yet, and they forgot to remove that reference, so it was kind of a 
spoiler, I guess, for their upcoming game, but it was so obscure, it was so general that no one really knew that that was what that was. There's also silly Easter eggs, too. So one of my favorite examples I reference a lot is in Crisis 2. Um, there's a mission where you can open up an elevator that's just on the side of a hallway, and there's two enemy soldiers inside just dancing with a disco ball and music playing. Again, one of those things that's just no real purpose to it. It's just funny to find and makes you chuckle. And sometimes you get an achievement for finding them, too. Do you have a favorite Easter egg in uh, anything that you've played? Mm, I'm... I, off the top of my head, that is tricky to th to pick just one. Um, I like when I was a kid. I, one of my favorite general Easter eggs was the developer room um, in the in the early Ratchet and Clank games. I think they called it the developer room. Um, Insomniac Museum is what they called it. So Insomniac is the developer of Ratchet and Clank, and they had they hidden a way to access like a special museum in every game uh, Ratchet and Clank game they made, and it had like cut content it had uh, enemies that weren't used weapons that weren't used stuff like that um and i i love that it. it has the developers recording like what like what the enemy was supposed to be or why they got rid of it i love stuff like that just little extra details about um the making of a game so uh, i do love things like that and i guess too in banjo kazooie there was a system called stop and swap but that was more of a something they were going to implement that was cut because of hardware issues. It wasn't really an Easter egg, but it kind of became like a, it's not an Easter egg, but it became like a big gaming topic. So that's, that's okay. on the list too, but yeah. I'm actually in an Easter egg. You're in an Easter egg. I'm in an Easter egg because I right was now, a... as we record this, you <laughs> 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 funny. I'll eat my way out. Hmm. No, um, the, uh, the Evercade versus founders edition. Because I backed that, I got to put my name in to uh, a list of names that would then be available to view on the system if you go to a particular screen. Oh, that's pretty sweet. I like stuff like that with Kickstarters. Every time I back one, I always think about backing a higher tier and like getting to design an enemy or something. But yeah. they're usually so expensive. And unless I'm like 100% into the game, I just figure I'll just do the lower tier um, I also thought I thought of one other. This is a pretty common one, but the the Chris Houlihan room in uh, Zelda: a Link to the Past. You know about that one? I don't. So basically, in Nintendo Power uh, back in the '90s, before the game came out, there was a competition to have. I remember exactly what the competition was for. It was something where it, a, a guy. I think he was like a challenge where he was like the best in some kind of uh, demo disc or something Nintendo put out. And as his prize, he got to be put into Link to the Past. And there's like four or five different ways to access it, which are all like you'd never stumble upon them yourself. You'd have to know like you have to do this and this. Um, and when you get to it, he says, my name is Chris Houlihan. This is my top secret room. Keep it between us, okay? And there's a bunch of money in there. Um, but it's just so funny because, like, Nintendo would never, ever, ever do that now. So it's just, like, a product of its time. And it's just so cool to say, like, you had your name in a Zelda game. I just, I just think it's a cool, and most people would never find it, too. So back in the day, it was probably hidden until the internet was more prevalent and people could share secrets like that. It was a, oh I looked it up yeah it was a, it was a Nintendo Power contest held in the fall of 1990 where the winner was going to get their name programmed into a future NES game. Um, oh. That's believed. It says the, the winner of the contest was never revealed by Nintendo, um, and there might not even be a real person named Chris Houlihan, according to the Zelda wiki. So, I I think I I choose to believe that's what happened because it seems really cool, but who knows. <laughs> <laughs> 
Interesting, Nintendo Power is still going uh, as a podcast. I think I knew that. I liked the some of the authors from Nintendo Power way back in the day. Nintendo Power podcast is hosted by former editor-in-chief of the original magazine, Chris Slate. Yeah, I remember Chris Slate. I have never listened to that. No, I, I used to either. love Nintendo Power, though. I remember, I remember enjoying reading it even when I wasn't really playing Nintendo games for a while. I just loved the way it was set up and the writers. That was It was a good time. I miss it. I still have the final issue and, and all the ones I had for a couple years. Yeah, same here. Okay, uh, let's move on. The eight best places to sell your old smart home gadgets. Now, this is interesting because we, we do look at places that you can dispose of your tech. We don't tend to focus on specific types of tech. And f smart home gadgets are a little bit different because uh, older smart home gear that's difficult to upgrade it very often has some sort of inherent security weakness that you probably don't want connected up in your home. So it makes sense to uh, get shot of it as easily as you can. So... Um, you have the obvious things like uh, eBay and Facebook Marketplace to get rid of old gear. Um, there's also the option of a Swapper, which is a good option for mainly for phones, but there are other things that it, you can do there, smartwatches, computers, laptops, tablets, home tech. Best Buy has a trade-in program where you can return old smart home gadgets and trade in for newer hardware apple has a trade-in service as does amazon i think the uh, most interesting item in this list is uh, declutter which is a great option if you want to sell your old smart home gadgets quickly and easily you just enter the name of the gadget and declutter will give you an instant valuation then if you're happy with it they send you a shipping label and you can get rid of it quite quickly and you get paid the next day via paypal direct deposit or via check Ben, have you got a bit of uh, smart home tech clutter in your place up? Uh, not a whole lot. I have a second generation Echo Dot, and I have the Google Home Mini. I don't remember what generation it was. Uh, I think that's really all I have. I never really bought smart home stuff because I, I'm, I'm, I rent right now, so I can't like install a ton of stuff. So I have a slight interest in it, I guess. I don't know if I'd really buy a whole lot, but other than like a smart plug or two, I don't have too, too much, so... I keep those around for the occasional article or update, but I don't, I don't have too much to offload. I don't think I'm sitting on millions or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, same here. I, um, we don't like have a... Uh, I say we don't. I'm about to crack open a box full of stuff for a review for make use of. But at this moment in time, we don't have anything like that switched on. We got rid of the, um, the Amazon Echo Dot for privacy reasons. Because uh, we ran, we ran out of, we were running out of tin foil basically. So I thought, well, it's it's either um, reuse the tin foil off someone's head or disconnect the Echo Dot. So that's I see did. that was a, probably a wise choice. I have thought about. I, I've had both of mine disconnected for years too. I just I, I don't think it's worth having it on for what I I, mean, I barely ever use it. And when I did, it was like set an alarm or whatever. I, I bought a new soundbar uh, a month or two ago, which I think I shared before, and it has a, a specific jack for connecting like a smart home like an Echo Dot or whatever. Uh -huh. And I thought about buying a, a an Apple HomePod mini because I'm not that I'm like all in on Apple, but I am using more Apple products now. And I thought about it and I'm like, I don't really, like what would I really use that for? Like asking quick questions, I can do that on my phone. 
and I don't have like so many smart home things where I'm turning my lights off and all that with it. So I think I'll stick with my low tech house for right now. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I can do what I want with my house because, well, I mean, I can't do what I want. I'm not renting, put it that way. So you know, I have I have the ability to install what I need to install should I want to. But I mean, at this stage, I'm kind of moving towards uninstalling things. For instance, I'm looking out at the house right now and there's a satellite dish on the wall and I'm thinking when did we last receive pictures over satellite we always use the internet so that's coming off a wall at some point and with it goes a load of unsightly cabling so that's a win isn't it it's the de- it's the declutter movement it is it is uninstall 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 uh so yeah if you've got some old smart home tech that you're not using anymore you don't need it to uh, act as a paperweight or, you know, waste space at the back of a drawer. You can turn it into cash and maybe put it towards a holiday or Christmas presents or new smart home tech. Which brings us to that point of the show where we give you um, a recommendation it's a thought, it's an idea, and it's an experience of something that we've enjoyed that we want to share with you. Uh, ben regularly recommends games, but I believe that this week it's something different. That's right. I'm giving you a break from hear, having to hear me talk about a game, so that's exciting. Um, so this week I wanted to recommend Simple Note, which is a tool you may or may not have heard of, but uh, true to its name, it is a really nice and easy note-taking app. So if you are not a huge fan of the note-taking app that came with your phone or you're just looking for something different to use across devices, I would definitely recommend it. So basically in a nutshell, Simple Note is made by the same people that make uh, WordPress, so it comes from a trusted name. Um, it's just a note-taking app that just works basically there's an app for every platform Uh, it's fully free there's no subscriptions or anything like that and it all syncs together so you make a change on one device it updates everywhere else Um, you can pin notes to keep them at the top if you want to use markdown which we've talked about before you can use that to stylize your notes Um, it saves on its own you can roll back your notes to previous versions and you can also share your notes with other people so if you want to share a grocery list or something like that um, there's no ads sharing is free all that kind of thing so it's really just a nice and simple note app there's not a whole lot to say about it um I like it because like I use Windows for my computer, I use an iPhone, um, and then I have a Mac too, like we said before, so it's nice to have one app that works across everything, where it's not like I'm pigeonholed into using Apple Notes on my phone, and then I can't get to them on my computer, I hate stuff like that. So if you like taking notes, and you need a better note-taking app, I would definitely check out Simple Note because it's just great. It's one of those apps I just enjoy without thinking too much about it, because it just works. Okay, well I'm going to check that out. For definite, uh, because that sounds uh, right up my street. My recommendation, uh, I've got a game, and it's quite a recent game. It came out at the uh, end of April on the Nintendo Switch. It's Nintendo Switch Sports. Uh, My twins uh, celebrate their birthday today, so I thought, well, what better way than to get them a game that they've been after? And uh, we haven't had a lot of time to play it, but, you know, it's a birthday you have to make time for a present like this on the birthday itself. So uh, between school and going to their birthday party, we loaded up Nintendo Switch Sports and played uh, one of the six games in there. Now, it comes with volleyball, badminton, bowling... Bowling? That sounds disgusting. <laughs> uh, it comes with volleyball, badminton, bowling, football, Shambara, 
and tennis. I think I'm saying it right. We played Shambara. And uh, it was me, the eldest two, and their younger sibling. And uh, we, uh, we, we kind of um, just had a great fun playing Shambara. And, uh, you know, chopping each other. We did, I mean, there's no chopping, obviously, because no, you're basically playing with the, um, with the Joy-Cons. There's no actual blade involved. Uh, but it's a great game. Well, that's good. I was I was worried that yeah. you might have taken. Yes, we had a barbecue off. and I prepared the um, kebab course <laughs> earlier. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, Shambara is great fun. That's the only bit we got to play because we found ourselves just just wanting to um, win each uh, beat each other all the time. So yeah, it's a lot of fun and it's very much in the uh, the, the, the the I suppose the the vein of the old uh, sports game on the Wii. But uh, it's bang up to date and it looks great and it plays great it's really great fun uh, if you haven't got it already i would recommend it when switch like party games come out i think about getting them if if my friends would enjoy them because i have a couple sets of friends that i play with when i see them i i i would probably go for like a mario sports game before this like i would probably get mario golf or the new oh, mario right. uh soccer football game just because they're a little more wacky i guess yeah so i i, I mean we sports was great for its time with the motion controls. I think it was a good game, but I don't think I would get too much out of, of this game. Um, so probably not one that I'll pick up, but I, uh, it's good to see the Wii Sports tradition being kept alive. That brings us to the end of this week's really useful podcast. Um, you can find us pretty much anywhere you find podcasts, but if you use Apple Podcasts, then if you leave us a review, that will help us to attract more listeners. You can also uh, share the podcast in any social networks like Facebook, Twitter, whatever you use, really. And, of course, you can contact us using the uh, main website at makeuseof.com or via Twitter, as according to the show notes, or uh, drop us a message on Facebook where you find this podcast shared on the make use of account this is a really useful podcast from makeuseof.com i'm christian corley he's ben stegner and we'll be along with a new show for you soon until then it's goodbye <laughs>